Jenna mentioned, we're in a transition to a new ministry um, to to Scotland. Um, but I want to tell you all about that. But um, there's been a, a text on our hearts that I want to take a few minutes and just share with you um, that we've been thinking about, talking about as a family. And um, it's from Matthew 24. And this is when Jesus is on the Mountain of Olives, and he's sitting with his disciples. And they're well aware that um, he's about to die. He's going to his death. He's telling them this. And as you can imagine, you know, you'd have a lot of questions too. When will the, and, and they ask this. They ask this in the passage in verse 3. They, they are sitting together, and the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming um, and of the end of the age? And so, you know, when is this going to happen? How is it going to happen? Maybe you've asked that question of different things at different periods in your life. I know I have as well. You know, Lord, how is this all going to work out? Um, what's going on? I mean, it was mentioned this morning, you know, you watch the news and you're watching the world around us. And it's, all, it's, it's kind of that question is there, you know, Lord, what are you doing? And so he, Jesus goes throughout really the next two chapters. He's talking about what is going to come. Um, what's going to come soon, what's going to come later. Um, This is what they're discussing. And he warns, he's very straightforward with them. He warns of birth pains, as he calls it, in in this life, um, in this this passage. And he's warning of wars and famines to come, of natural disasters. And, I mean, you, you watch the news. Some of this is, I mean, This is is close to home, right? There's difficult things. And he makes it even more personal. This is verses 6 to 8. He's he's talking about the persecution that will come for believers. Um, He says that the disciples will be hated for his name's sake. And, And these are hard things. But he goes on to talk about betrayal of believer to believer, of false teaching, and that the love of many will grow cold, which is just chilling to think about, love growing cold. But there's this buried in these warnings of these, you know, an explanation of what's about to come. There's this hope that he gives them embedded in that. And this is in verse 13. And he says, the one who endures to the end will be saved. And he says, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. And so there's this this explanation that the gospel is going to go out, and it's going to go out in a difficult setting, um, but that there's a promise of endurance, and it's by his blood, it's by the Spirit, and the Lord is doing that in our time still as we await for his return. Um, these are difficult times, but even in difficult times, in impossible times, with impossible events, um, the gospel will continue to go out, and the end will come with his reign and his return. And, you know, this is, this is leading up. Um, you know, we're experiencing this kind of thing today. We, we are, and, and more so. And so Jesus tells them that, you know, no one knows the day and hour of his return, um, but, but the exhortation that he has, we, we don't want to miss. We don't want to miss this morning. And he actually says, near the end of this particular section, 
he says the word therefore twice. So therefore. And, and it's another way of saying, um, you know, in light of what I just told you, or because of what I just told you, um, pay attention to this next thing. Okay, so there's two therefores, and this is, the first one is in verse 42. And he says, therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. Stay awake. And then the second therefore is in verse 44. Therefore, you also must be ready, be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. And the word that he uses here for for stay awake, in Greek, this is gregario, is the Greek word. And it carries with it this this meaning to to be alive, to to be awakened, but to be alive. Um, And then also to to watch, to be watchful. Um, This also, the second statement, be ready, um, can be translated to stay on the alert or to keep watching, to have an active watching. And so as we think about kind of the the depths of these words, it kind of becomes clearer to us how we are to live in these important times. This is his call with the gospel in mind. And so there's this idea that he wants us as believers to be clear-eyed, to be sober-minded, as as scripture also says, and and ready for action, Um, you know, to to be participating in the body. Um, if you want to use a sports metaphor, you know, to be in the game or in the competition, to, to compete, you know, to cooperate with a team and, and to be in action. And this reminds me of 1 Thessalonians 5, where this is actually in the context of talking also about the end of times and the, the return, the day of the Lord. And the writer says, now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. And this is, this is the promise. This is the best part. But you are not in darkness, brothers. For that day to surprise you like a thief, for you are all children of light, children of the day. And doesn't that just awaken your heart when you read that? Just, yeah. Children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then, let us not sleep as others do, but keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. And you can walk in this building in about five minutes. You feel the encouragement and the building up that's going on here. It's pretty awesome. It's a great church.
And this is also like Hebrews chapter 11, this awakened encouragement in the church. And I just lost my place. Yeah, so it's on the screen here. But therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, um, just as you are doing. Okay, so keep that in your mind. And then this is Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day, that's the return of the Lord, the day drawing near. So this is in the context of the church, right? The church is the community that God gave us to encourage one another build each other up, stir one another up to good works in these important, important days. Okay, so stay awake, be ready. That's what God is calling each of us to. And the church is a great blessing. And I hope that you feel that, that you are experiencing that here, that you're pouring in to others as they pour into you. Um, You know, every time we come to Life Bible Church, and it's been a few years now, but y'all build us up. Y'all encourage us. And we actually look back on these visits. They, we carry this forward. We carry this with us, and we remember being here with you. Um, you know, we, even though we've been in North Africa and we're going to a new mission field, um, we're just as prone to drifting to fall asleep. There's, there's nothing, even though I'm standing up here, we are just as prone um, to wandering to losing that focus and losing that fire. And so y'all continue to build us up. And, you know, just this promise um, when Jesus said in in Matthew 24 that the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Uh, He said right there that those who endure, that endurance is really important. And um, your church, your support, your love of us, your love for the work that we're doing um, helps us endure. And I do want to take a moment. I know it was on the screen about Pastor Appreciation Month. Um, and Jenna mentioned it when she was sharing. Um, but y'all, y'all have great pastors. And Pastor Joel, Pastor Scott, thank you for being with us. I mean, last time we were stateside was in 2020, and we endured a pretty serious medical challenge in our family, and we were displaced in the U.S. because the borders were closed. We were unable to, to go. And uh, these two men have have been there for us um, to help us and love us, and I know they, they, they love this congregation. They love you all. And, I mean, beyond that, you're the elders here, the staff here, um, this is a special place. And so this idea of, of stirring up one another, that is their heart for you, uh, the worship team, and everyone here. Um, okay, so um, God is doing a great thing, and he's using the church. Um, it's one of the reasons we're excited about what's ahead for us in Scotland. Um, so just to take a moment and, and share with you, um, when we think about staying awake, um, being alert, this idea. Um, 
I don't know what you think about when you think about Scotland. You probably think about, most people think about kilts and bagpipes, probably Braveheart. I don't own a, sk- or a, a skirt, a kilt yet, but my wife, my wife says I have to have one soon. But it, that's what comes to mind first, right? But you might also think about historical Christianity, um, Christian history, how God used the church in Scotland um, to return to the Bible, to awaken a generation of missionaries who would bring the gospel all around the world. And Jenna and I were shocked to learn that that is not the picture of today in Scotland and the greater UK. And we were shocked to learn that 1% of Scotland follows Christ now. And in the last 100 years, there's been a radical reversal in Christianity in the world. So in 1900, the majority of Christians were in Europe and North America. By 1980, that had evened out to about 50-50. So half of the church globally was now in South America, Africa, and Asia. But today, there are more Christians outside of North America and Europe than there are inside And there has been a complete reversal where these other regions are now the ones sending missionaries. And places like Scotland and the UK are radically different. And it's kind of a new paradigm to think about that those who used to send missionaries where the church was robust and awake has now not only fallen asleep, but is disappearing And just to illustrate that with some numbers, too, in Scotland today, there's a national church, uh, the Church of Scotland. It's it's Presbyterian. uh, It's the state church. In the last 60 years, um, so 60 years ago, they had 1.3 million people as members in the Church of Scotland. Within 60 years, a million have gone out. There's 300,000 active members today. And they've closed, they're closing 40% of their congregations. And you can literally go and buy a cathedral, if you can imagine, a granite cathedral. And so it's a city, um, we will be in Edinburgh, which is the capital city, and it's a city of churches. And, and we visited in, in April, and when I say a city of churches, you look across the city and you see steeples, inspires, granite, ancient buildings, beautiful buildings. You get on the street and you walk around and you realize these aren't churches, but they are not congregations. Um, these beautiful historic churches have been carved up into apartments. They look like they're protected by, this, by the, the government, so they look like churches, but they're now residents. Um, many are bars and restaurants. Um, Many, some of them have been converted to mosques and Hindu temples. And in fact, there are, there are 20 active mosques in downtown Edinburgh. And we, we were shocked by this. And to be honest, our first day there, we said, you know, there's churches everywhere. Why would we work to plant a church in Scotland? But getting on the ground and realizing that this is the reality and 
um, you know, the amount of um, the, the modern mind, the, the rational mind has explained God right out of society. And um, what has come in is uh, a lot of skepticism. It's, it's known as the Athens of the North. And they've actually built a replica Mars Hill um, there above the city. And so this is the situation there. Um, and yet, we believe there is a whole generation of people that have not heard the gospel, um, have not experienced the real Christ. And it's been said before, Scotland has churches, but they don't have Christ. And so we have an opportunity to join a team of great, great people. Um, so what God's leading us to do is help plant a church in Edinburgh, Scotland. Um, the name of that church is Take Hold Church, and um, it's from um, a verse from 1 Timothy 6.12 um, that I'll read to you. But this is our, this is our team. And so um, this was just this past week when we came together in person for the first time. But um, the, the two other men you see here, um, they've been in pastoral ministry. Um, um, Paul in the, the black shirt there has been a pastor for 25 years. And there's another Paul in the blue who they're actually living in Edinburgh right now. And so God has brought this group of people together, um, and we're following God to trust him, to shine a light there, to use us. There, there's a lot that we know we don't know. You know, um, the, the paganism and uh, witchcraft is very active in this city. There's groups of people that meet to pray against the church in Scotland. And so that's the situation. But we're trusting that the Lord will reveal himself in our weakness and that we will proclaim him um, in the months to come. And so pray for us, please. Um, pray that the gospel would go out and that this uh, slumbering church and that those who have yet to hear of the name of Jesus will be awakened in new life and um, that we would see a, a series, a network of churches begun um, to reach the people there. So thanks so much for letting us share, and um, we love you all very much. Thank you, guys. We really appreciate you coming. Let me just say, it's very kind of you to, to mention that, you know, Pastor Appreciation Month, but you guys have always been a refreshment to us, always. And um, you have a very unique spirit. And I've said this to you more than once, and I mean it. And it's important for you to know that um, as a church, we look at these guys and we say, these people are called and they are just dead center of God's will. And you have to know that you know that, don't you? Because the environment you guys have been in for the past many years has not been uh, an easy one. And if you, it's not for the faint of heart. And it's not for people who have um, bold aspirations without a clear calling. You have to have a clear calling. And so we just want to be a, one of the voices in your life. And I know we're not the only one that affirms the call of God. And that's why we told him, we said, oh, you guys are moving from one organization to do the new thing. Well, that, we don't care. We're following you. We know this is not about us necessarily supporting an organization. We believe in the God's call in your life. And so... Um, they, they let us be a part of even praying with them through the decision and some of that, which, you know, that was very gracious of you guys. But we just want to say we're excited 
for the next season, and we hope you are too. Um, and uh, we just thank you guys for serving God faithfully the way you do. And I want to, can I just say thank you for being such cheerful people. You know, it just means so much to me too. Just that you guys, your 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 attitude, you have your heads up high and you're smiling, which tells me again that you're in God's will because you have grace to do what you're doing. So be encouraged. We love you guys. Um, so I am back from sabbatical, and I'm just happy to be back. Thank you guys. I want to say thank you to the church for allowing me to take a rest, because I haven't needed that. I've been I've been uh, serving here for about 10 years in, in various capacities, some part-time, full-time, and all kinds of things, and I just felt it kind of coming on, and I felt tired, and I was like, well, I, I, um, I, um, I think I want to take a rest before I reach a place I don't want to get to. And so I just want to say thank you to the church for allowing for that, because I have heard of other environments where they don't want to, they don't want the pastors to do that kind of thing, and it, and it just means a lot to us. Um, and by the way, I will just point this out before we move on. If anybody wants to get these guys' newsletter, um, their newsletters are excellent, and they're, they're not just informative, they're well-written, and they're just, and full of just testimonies and encouragement. So I would encourage you to, um, to do that. Well, I had um, a message to share with you guys from coming out of sabbatical about the importance of of rest and refocus and all this. And I got to church this morning and Scott said, well, Daniel's got a few other things that he wants to share. And I said, okay, well, what's he sharing? So he told me, he said, well, Daniel's going to talk about the church waking up. And I said, well, I just have prepared a message on the church taking a rest. <laughs> and so, so, so quick course correction. I, um, I said, I'm going to do something different this morning then. Um, because I want to, I feel like it's important to, to, um, to affirm what you guys are sharing, because what you're saying is true. And um, we have a tendency, I think, can we pray real quick? Sorry, I'm, I'm just going off to the races, but I'm, I'm happy to be here. But Lord, we thank you for the grace of God. We bless the Andres and all they put their hands to. We thank you for your hand on them that we can see. And we glorify you and praise you. I pray this morning, every word that's spoken, everything that's done or said, Lord, would honor you and that you would receive praise and glory in the name of Jesus, would become greater and greater to each of us every day that we live, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> um, but um, we have a tendency to, to think that because things have been a certain way, that they will continue that way. And the fact, the plain fact is that if energy is not put into anything, it begins to break down. And you see that with families, you see that with all relationships, you see that with churches, you see that with, with missions work, you see it with every single thing. If energy is not put in, then the thing begins to break down. And what they're describing about what's happened in Scotland um, is very easy for us to say, well, Scotland, well, I hate to hear it about Scotland, but it couldn't happen in America, don't you see? It even mentions God in the Constitution. So how could things break down in America? And yet you realize that if in any generation the church goes to sleep, the next generation pays dearly for it. And the loss of um, the loss of the potency of, of the gospel, you know, and Jesus, if you read the letters in Revelation um, to the seven churches, the, he talks about the lampstand. And the lampstand is the light put up high where it can be seen by all. 
the light of the world, the city on the hill, which cannot be hidden. And Jesus said, that's what the church is supposed to be in every generation, in every place that you live. And Jesus said, if you, he said, I see, I see what you're doing. You're doing some things well. I'm not just here to criticize you, but I need to make it clear. There's also some things that are very broken. And if the things that are broken are not repented of, the lampstand is going to be yanked, which means the light you know, the light is down if it's on at all. You know what I mean? Jesus said, nobody lights a lamp and puts it under a bowl or puts it under a bed. No, they put it on a stand so it can give light to the whole house. And so that's God's heart for his church, his people, everywhere we are, whether it's here in America or anywhere in the world. And every generation has, I would say, an obligation. I don't. It's not that simple. There's more to it than that. But we have an obligation to make sure that the fires are burning to make sure that the light is strong, to make sure that there's, we're not giving in to sin as a people. In um, Jeremiah chapter 18, this is the stuff I've been reading. This is fresh bread, you guys. This is some of this just from a couple of days ago, some of it from this morning. Um, in Jeremiah chapter 18, um, you don't have this. You can put it up if you want to, guys. This is the first few verses of Jeremiah 18 in ASB. The word, the word which, uh, which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will announce my words to you. Then I went down to the potter's house. You see how this is how obedience works. God says, Go to the potter's house, and I'll tell you the rest of the story. And so Jeremiah said, Okay, I think I've got this figured out. I'm going to go to the potter's house. So he goes to the potter's house, and there he was making something on the wheel. That's not surprising, right? It's the potter's house. But the vessel that he was making of clay was spoiled in the hand of the potter. You know, you ever have somebody come watch you work, and you'd like to impress them with your skill. And this guy, as soon as Jeremiah walks in and starts watching him, he messes up on the wheel, the thing that he was making. And I think that's the kind of thing that I do when people watch me. So he remade it into another vessel as it pleased the potter to make. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Can I not, O house of Israel, deal with you as this potter does? declares the Lord, behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. At one moment I might speak concerning a nation or concerning a kingdom to uproot, to pull down, or to destroy it. God might say, I'm done with that nation. It's going to be removed from the face of the earth. But listen to what he says in verse 8. If that nation against which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent concerning the calamity I plan to bring on it. You know, they talk about Scotland. The decline of the church is the beginning of the decline of the culture. And it's the beginning of the decline of the nation as a nation on the earth. Because when you cease to honor God, you get on his list. And as soon as the nation repents of its sin, God says, you know what I mean? These guys go and they're saying, well, why would we go and why would we do this? And people, they're saying that's the argument. Because, you know, there's other things going on. It's, you know, but you realize that Anybody, you never know who's going to be the spark that rekindles the flame. And so is it worth it? Oh, yeah. And God, by the way, doesn't call people for no purpose. He calls you because he's got a plan, and he hasn't let you see it yet. But you get to go, and you get to see what it is. You know, you came, you think, well, we'll help out. We'll do some things. We'll support these people. You know, but then you have no idea what kind of what the seed of your life being sown in Scotland will do for that nation. And what will happen with the gospel there, you have no idea. You know what I mean? So this is the exciting part of going into it, and you've got to go in by faith. And this is why I say you have to know that you're called. But 
and then verse 9, it says, In another moment I might speak concerning a nation or concerning a kingdom to build up or to plant it, like our country, right? Our country was not a couple of hundred years ago. And then it was. And it became a great light to the whole world over time because of the way that it was founded. But then in verse 10, it says, if it, if it, that nation does evil in my sight by not obeying my voice, then I will think better of the good with which I had promised to bless it. We can stop right there. So God's saying, you're sitting there thinking, well, we're the chosen people of God, the chosen of God, the chosen of God. And God says, as long as you walk with me, my blessing will continue towards you. But don't get into that attitude don't get into that presumptuous attitude of something is owed to me because I have always been blessed. And that's the sobering thing. And this is why the church has to be awake in every generation because we are the salt, the preservative. We preserve the good and we keep the light burning and we keep things alive while we live on the earth in whatever culture, in whatever land, in whatever time God places us. And Jeremiah, and you say, well, well, you know, how far could it go? In Jeremiah chapter 20, and this is what I read this morning, or maybe it was 19, it was 19. <clears throat> um, thus says the Lord, verse, verse, verse 1, 19, 1, Jeremiah 19, 1. Thus says the Lord, go and buy a potter's earthenware jar, and take some of the elders and the people and some of the senior priests. Then go out to the valley of Ben-Hinnom, which is by the entrance of the Potsherd Gate, and proclaim there the words that I tell you, and say, Hear the word of the Lord, O kings of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I am about to bring a calamity upon this place, at which the ears of everyone that hears it will tingle. What's been happening is God's people have been warned and 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 warned, and God's patience is so tremendous, is it not? And God said, but I'm at the end of my patience. This calamity is certain, and I will not change my mind. Some punishment has to come. It's the only way to bring about the cleansing and the restoration of my people. And so he goes on from there, and he says, because they have forsaken me and have made this an alien place. And so this is, he takes them to the, to the valley, to this place called Ben-Hinnom, and he says, they have burned sacrifices in it to other gods that neither they nor their fathers nor the kings of Judah had ever known. And listen to these words. And because they have filled this place with the blood of the innocent. And this is one of the chief passages that people point to when they talk about um, abortion within a culture and the shedding of innocent blood. Um, because you realize God has, if you want to get God upset and angry, then shed the blood of the innocent without repentance. And we've had a great big turnaround, right? We've had a huge landmark change in our country. And I think in part this came about because over the last couple of years, the church has been shaken out of its slumber. So many people have been woken up and seen like, wow, evil is real. Darkness is real. There's all kinds of things, things we took for granted we can't take for granted, things we thought we knew we were wrong about. And people just begin to really pray. People have begun to really intercede for the well-being of the, of, of the nation. And so many people, so many people who are on the line, like they were like nominal Christians, like, well, of course I'm a Christian, because what else would I be? 
those people have thrown themselves in, started reading their Bibles and praying, and they'll give their little commentaries online about various social issues, and then they say, well, no, let's stop and pray. And then they're praying in the name of Jesus. You're like, where's this coming from? Like, what's happened? All these people who are on the line have become pushed into being like real Christians, and a lot of people who were nominal just kind of looked at everything and said, I was about to check out, so I'm done. And, and, and in some sense, you could consider that a purging and a purifying of the church, that people are moving deeper into their faith, or in some cases, moving away from it, because maybe it wasn't real. But we don't know. We can't answer that. God knows. But when there is the blood of the innocent, God is angry, and he will not overlook it. You remember he said the blood, when he confronted Cain about, Cain, about his killing his brother, he said, the blood of your brother Abel is crying to me from the ground. That's the reality of it, that God is hearing a cry of the blood of the innocent when it's shed. And God said that's what the people had done in the valley of Ben-Hinnom. In verse 5, they have built the high places of Baal to burn their sons in the fire as burn offerings to Baal, a thing which I never commanded or spoke of, nor did it ever enter my mind. God is saying the, 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 the killing of your own children as an offering or a sacrifice of worship to a false god, nothing like that ever, ever, ever entered into my mind that you should do those kinds of things. And um, therefore, behold, days are coming, he says, when this place will no longer be called Topheth or the Valley of Ben-Hinnom, but rather the Valley of Slaughter. And I'll stop right there because I like to end on an encouraging note. But... <laughs> Topheth means spitting. I looked these words up because I was interested to see. He's changing the name of it, and that's always significant in the Bible. Topheth means spitting, like an object of scorn. Like the people would walk by, they'd see the awful things happening in the valley, and they'd spit in scorn. But Ben-Hinnom is interesting because Ben-Hinnom, Ben, if you guys know anything about all this kind of stuff, you pay attention to names and stuff. Ben is son of, right? Been his son. So this is the valley of the son of Hinnom. And Hinnom, this is, this is so funny because this is what I read this morning, and then Daniel shares this stuff. Hinnom means to cause to slumber. So think about this. The valley of the son of the one who went to sleep, basically. So you got the first generation goes to sleep. The next generation commits atrocities in the valley. And this is what the place was, and God said, but I'm not even going to let it be called that anymore. I've got a new name for it. It's going to be called the Valley of Slaughter because there's not even going to be enough graves for you to bury people in because I have to purge this evil from my people. And this is what happens when the people of God go to sleep. It's not you. It's your kids who pay the price. It's the next generation. He said 60 years, right? They lost a million people from the churches in 60 years in Scotland. And um, that's a lot of people, you know? And so you have to look at this whole thing and say, we must not. We cannot fall asleep. Not at, we, The price is much too high. And the, the challenge to wake up is all through the Bible. And Daniel, Daniel cited a couple of those passages. And, you know, Jesus, even when he was in the garden, he was being tempted. He was going off to pray. And the whole problem was the disciples, who ought to have been, have been keenly aware of the trouble that was coming, they just kept falling asleep. And he said, couldn't you watch with me for one hour? And they're like, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, one hour, got it. Okay, you go pray, we'll, we'll keep watch. And then right back to sleep. And then finally, Jesus came back the last time, three times. 
He came back the last time and he said, well, we're out of time, fellas. He said, the one who's accusing me is here. And then the game was on. There was no more sleeping after that. But they had slept through the most important season where they should have been standing with Jesus, had an opportunity to support him. And they missed that opportunity. And the church is sitting on an opportunity that requires us to be awake. I'll just share this for the last thing. Revelation 3. This is a passage that God has brought me back to over and over and over again for more than 10 years to understand the church in our generation. But he says, to the angel of the church in Sardis, write, He who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says this, I know your deeds, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. And do you know what a name is? A name is a reputation. That means the people who know of you in the community, in the places around, are saying, what a great church. Wow, they have the greatest services over there. Wow, most powerful message I've ever heard preached right over there at the church in Sardis, you know. And Jesus said, but I look much deeper than that. Anybody can have a powerful service. Anybody can put on a show for 30 minutes or an hour or whatever. Anybody can do that. I look much deeper than that. And I'm looking behind the scenes. I'm looking at the real life of the church. How do you guys interact out in the world when you're not in a building, when there's nobody to impress? How do you speak to each other privately? How do, you know, how do the leaders treat the staff and so on? Is there this domineering thing going on or is it, or is it submission leading from, like Jesus did, from a place of sacrifice and submission? And he said, I see all this stuff, and I don't care what all the world says about you guys because the truth is you are absolutely spiritually dead. And we, this is something that we have to just take stock because I remember saying this to, to a pastor. I didn't know at the time you're not supposed to tell a pastor that his church might be dead because it hurts their feelings. But I shared it with a pastor, and I, I, said, I said, we have to be honest. I said, we just have to know, what is Jesus' assessment of the church? Because if Jesus says it's dead, I don't want to go around saying it's alive. And I said that to him, and I thought I kind of hurt his feelings. I wasn't sure, but he, I mean, but, but, you, but it's, it's offensive because people are working hard to try to do something, and you don't want to, you know, you don't want to think of it like that. But, but we have to be, we have to say, Jesus, just tell us what the truth is, because we want to know. And whatever the truth is, we're ready to do whatever you say. And he said, reputation alone is not enough, because you have to be actually alive. And so he said in verse 2, wake up and strengthen the things that remain, which were about to die. Do you hear that? Because you've got things in the church that are good, and they're sent by God, but they're dying because the church is asleep, and because the church itself in some ways can be dead. And he said, I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God, which means there were areas in which the church was disobedient. Jesus had spoken, and the church, either by negligence or willful disobedience, did not follow through on what he had said. And so things that had been given by God, great gifts and blessings, had deteriorated and were about to die. And he said, if you don't wake up, it's going to die. And what Daniel shared with us, Daniel and Jenna shared with us about Scotland, that's a living example of what happens if we don't wake up. The things that were there and were good, you know, and you can read back through the history of the revivals and stuff that had taken place and have touched Scotland directly and has been incredible in the past, you know, but you can't hold on to yesterday's glory, can you? No. 
and you can't, not yesterday, you know, Moses came down off the mountain glowing from the presence of God, and the Bible says that glory was fading. The moment he got out of the presence of God, it began to fade. And if you and I don't live in the presence of God, it's always a fading glory. But in the new covenant, it's glory to glory to glory. It's more and more glory because the glorious one is abiding in us and with us. So remember in verse 3, he says, what you have received and heard. So it wasn't for lack of information. It wasn't for lack of good preachers. They didn't lack the knowledge of what they should do. They just didn't walk in it. So remember what you've received and heard, and keep it, and repent, which means turn from the things that have, that have gone wrong, where you've disobeyed, where you've turned away from God. Turn from those things. Therefore, if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come to you. And so Jesus said, don't be shocked. You know what I mean? There's kind of the two things we're holding in tension all the time. Jesus, was, Jesus said, nobody knows the day or the hour, but he also said, if you're paying attention, you'll see the signs of the times. So you're kind of, it's kind of both things. You won't know the day or the hour, but you can tell when, it, when the season is right. He said, don't sailors look at the sky, and they say, you know, red, red sky at night, sailor's delight, or whatever it is. You know, you can, he said, you can read the skies and know what the weather's going to be. Well, pay attention, because when the signs of the times are upon you, you'll see it. You won't know the day or the hour, but you'll have a sense. And the way that we wait is so important. And I took my son out uh, hunting during youth rifle this last week, and he got a deer. You know, tell him congratulations. It was a beauty. Um, but we're sitting in the stand, and everything's quiet except for him. Because how do you sit? You know, I'm, I'm just kidding. He did a good job. But, but he's over there fidgeting, and everything in the woods, and it's dead quiet in the dark. Sounds like it goes through a megaphone. Every little click of the deer stand against his shoe thing. I mean, you know, and I'm just over here going, and he's like, I'm just checking. And I can't hear what he's saying, but I don't want him to say it again because you know it's like it's like. Anyway, we're out there, and I said, and I and I and I whispered to him. I said, I said, hunting is patience and faith. And I said, you're waiting for something you cannot see. And I said, but you have to wait in readiness. Because he had put his gun up like this, like he had laid his gun up, pointing up into the sky. And I said, just you tipping your gun down is going to alert the deer to our presence. I said, you have to wait in readiness. I said, put your gun up on the rail and put the buttstock on your shoulder. Because he could be here at any minute. And that's the way that we wait for the coming of the Lord. Get your gun up on the rail. Put, your, put the stock against your shoulder. Get your finger next to the trigger, not on it. <laughs> and wait in readiness, because that's, what, that's the way that we wait. And there's a picture in Revelation where Jesus says to his disciples, is it really 1035? I've, this is my fault. I take full responsibility. Um, where Jesus said, he gives the picture of someone who's waiting with their clothes. They don't know when the master's going to come. But when the master comes, they want to look presentable, and the clothes are sitting by the bed. You hear the trumpet sound? Quick, slip on the clothes. You know what I mean? That's the picture. The master's home. Put on the clothes so you'd be presentable for the master. And that's the way the church waits for the Lord. Well, I would like to ask Daniel and Jenna just to come up, if you guys would, just front and center. We're going to pray over these guys. They're, they're in the States. And um, I told you next week I'm going to share a word about rest. And um, and um, they're going to be in a it's, you know, in a season where, where they're hoping they need to be refueled. Isn't that right? 
You guys are ready to admit that? You need to be refueled? Okay, yeah. <laughs> you always get the truth from these guys. That's why we love them. Well, many reasons. But, they, um, but we want to pray over them that this season, the next couple of months that they have in the States, it's January, right, that you head out. And so, what's that? Lord willing, and the creek don't rise. That's what they say. So um, we want to pray over them that they will receive everything that they need from God to go full into the next season. Can we agree for that? Well, let's all stand up. If you guys want to come up and pray over them, you can. If you want to uh, extend your hand toward them, I know we're past time, but this is important. We want to just bless them in Jesus' name. Lord God, we thank you for Daniel and Jenna. What a joy it is to know them and to be able to participate with them and encourage them and do whatever we can to, to support them and, and um, make sure that they can fulfill their calling before you. Lord God, we want to pray that the windows of heaven will be opened over them. Lord, and that their hearts would be open. And Lord, every place, Lord, that they can, that they can store up spiritual blessing, we pray their hearts would be full that you would pour in, pour in, pour in. I pray you'd set up just divine appointments for them, that they would just meet with encouragement at every turn, that they'd, that strangers would be, you'd put it on their hearts, people they don't know who belong to you would be sent to them, even in public places, just to say, hey, I would need to come tell you this. And they'd receive words from heaven in every place that they go. And Lord, your word, which the scripture says, is settled in the heavens, Lord. We want to pray that it would be fulfilled here in the earth and released through them. And we pray, God, that you'd let them be a part of a harvest of souls. I pray you let them be a spark, Lord, that lights a fire in Scotland. Lord, we pray that they would take back those mosques, that they'd take back those buildings, Lord, because they need places for the Christians to meet, Lord. And we pray that you would let there be a revival, Lord, and that we know a seed goes into the ground and it takes time to grow. But if it's cultivated, it will certainly bear a crop for the one who sows it. And I pray that they would be sowers with you, Lord Jesus, and that nothing um, that they need would be withheld from them, but it would be poured out in abundance in Jesus' name.